0: Welcome to the latest edition of the Carmichael Governance Podcast. I'm Dermot O'Carbui, CEO of Carmichael. Carmichael is a charity that provides supports to other Irish charities, particularly in the area of governance. You can find details of what we do and a wide range of free resources on our website. That's carmichaelireland.ie. You can also find previous editions of our governance podcast on our website or on your favourite podcast platform, be that SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Acast. Today I'm speaking to Ria Albuquerque who is Head of Product Development at the Corporate Governance Institute and we're going to talk today about ESG. Before we launch into ESG, um, Ria, you might just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the Corporate Governance Institute.
1: Thanks Dermit. Like you said, my name is Ria and I'm originally from India. I moved to Ireland in 2018 and after that I got my Master's from SmallFit Um, After SmallFit, I was lucky enough to start working with David Duffy, uh, who is of course from the governance company and I worked with him on the governance consulting side, but uh, COVID hit and I think things slowed down slightly and uh, he told me that he was working on this new opportunity. And initially, I started working part time. And initially, I just thought it was the simple design of a brochure, to be quite honest. And eventually, I found my time moving more and more into the Corporate Governance Institute. And then I fully was absorbed into the Corporate Governance Institute. So, currently, I am head of product development at the Corporate Governance Institute. So what that means is I am fully responsible for the courses that we deliver right from scratch, right from sourcing vendors to get the the courses. Sometimes I even write the courses myself and sort of coordinating all the courses right from start to finish. So... I've had an exposure to governance uh, quite a bit in the last three years. It's safe to say that I, at least at work, I eat, breathe with governance, basically. And then I think in 2022, actually last year is when we started branching more into governance areas. So areas allied with governance. So that would be ESG, And for the last year, my work has been primarily on getting a diploma in ESG out. I'm quite proud to say and I'm quite excited actually to say that I think the Corporate Governance Institute has, I think, one of the world's largest repositories and catalogs of governance-related courses. And of course, the ESG diploma that we launched last year is probably one of our best. We also have, in the short time that we've been an organization, which has been just about two and a half years, we've launched about 25 individual certificates. We have two full-fledged diplomas, one in corporate governance, one in ESG. And we are also launching soon a professional certificate, which is specialization in governance-related areas as well. So that's a little bit about me and the Corporate Governance Institute. A
0: very, a very, very busy person, and as you say, a subject matter into all matters governance. So the topic we've, we've chosen for today's conversation is this one that has suddenly come from nowhere to be everywhere in terms of you, in, in governance literature, and that's um, ESG. So you might just sort of explain what is ESG and what are those three key pillars that people talk about of ESG, just to get us started before we dive into sort of the more nuts and bolts
1: Absolutely. So um, you're absolutely right in saying ESG seemed like it came out of nowhere, but it's been around in various forms for, for a long time. But now what we call it is ESG. So ESG stands for the Environment, Social and Governance. And essentially, it's how these three factors interplay with each other within the organizational environment. I'd like to think of it as if an organization has an environmental ambition or a social ambition, then governance is out of the train on which it runs on. Uh, I mean, I do take a look at ESG as more on the governance side. Um, and I often say it's the least sexy of the three. And I don't think it gets enough enough importance as it really should. But getting back to the topic, what really is ESG? On the environmental side, there are a number of environmental issues that organizations face. It could range from greenhouse gas emissions to impact on biodiversity to waste management, energy use, water management. On the social side, it could be any issues, right from employee pay to working conditions and rights to equality, diversity, and inclusion. It could be human rights across the board. It could be community outreach and engagement and, you know, even customer satisfaction. So again, there's a broad range of issues. And again, even on the governance side, there's a lot of, uh, it could be financial accounting. It could be transparency, executive pay incentives and even risk management tools, board composition, money laundering. I mean, the list can really, really go on here. And I think maybe later on we'll sort of dive into how not all of these issues need to be of equal importance to every organization. It can, the list can be overwhelming, but it's really got to be extremely customized to
0: an organization. That's a very important point because when you show people these big lists, suddenly the eyes can glaze over and say, oh, this is too complex or too difficult or we'll go away with why has it suddenly become so important that organizations can no longer ignore ESG? What are the things that have been driving that for in in the boardroom, that now ESG is something that every board needs to have an understanding have an, uh, and have a response to?
1: Well, I think the most telling thing is a simple Google search away. So even if you look at Google Trends, you can see this huge rise in, in a huge uptick in ESG-related searches. Increasingly, I think we're finding ESG appearing on the board's agenda more and more because I think there's been a lot of talk about, you know, investor activism and there's been a lot of talk about those sorts of things. But to be honest, it's that there are a number of factors that are actually pushing this on the board's agenda. It's not really the scary investor activist, right? There are a couple of things that are really pushing it on the board's agenda. The three things in particular, which is extreme events. So you're talking about floods, you're talking about earthquakes, um, even pandemics, which we just got through. Uh, I think it's becoming more and more clear that climate change is real and individuals can only do so much and organizations need to come together to sort of help with this problem. That's the one factor. The second factor is that people are just becoming more aware of what organizations need to be doing and what they shouldn't be doing as well. And this is in no small part thanks to social media as well. You know, investors now are more sort of concerned with with what an organization is doing and customers are actually even choosing to let their money do the talking. So we see more increasingly customers want to maybe go for for a greener product, you know, uh, rather than one that may come across as not as green. So these are strategic issues for a board to worry about. And that's why maybe a, a board sort of, uh, it's increasingly coming on to the board's agenda. The third thing is that there's a lot of emerging technologies enabling organizations to be able to do better. So there are a lot of alternative technologies, traditional ones. And now people are kind of asking, well, why aren't we doing more of it already so it's, it's the path is simple and so why not
0: one of the things and particularly if those have been around governance and the area is you'd hear back is is this just another passing fad is this just a um, uh, flavor of the day and it'll it'll pass if we just keep our heads down and let it wash overs and and yes. not not do too much how would you react to that
1: I think the worst thing could be you sticking your head in the sand. I mean, not you, but like organizations sticking their heads in the sand. The truth is ESG has existed in some form for decades now. Earlier it used to be called sustainability, you know, and now it's sort of morphed due to world events. It's become into ESG currently. A few years ago, maybe when the space wasn't so organized, you know, maybe supporting a charity could have been considered sustainable. But now sort of, that's not enough anymore. CSR or corporate social responsibility has morphed into becoming more of a strategic standpoint for organizations and it's sort of morphed more into ESG. The question now becomes how do organizations push the boundaries to do better within their business model? So how do they do well according to the environment and according to society, but also still bring in monetary value. Um, Another point here to note is, of course, that ESG is such a new field. There are so many issues that are still being ironed out, um, and we realize that. But the concept will stay. It'll just morph into something else, possibly in 10 or 15 years. But whatever happens today is really, really important in laying the foundations to how we approach a greener, um,
0: so the core principles will be there.
1: Absolutely.
0: And one of the things I also get asked about is is but this doesn't really affect charities and nonprofits. What what's your response to that? does it have a an impact on charities and nonprofits directly?
1: Um, absolutely. So I think there's an idea that ESG is only for private companies and it's only for the big guys, but that's actually just not true at all. I think also when charities here or not the non-profit sector hears ESG, there's this sense of fear of something new and something big and how do we tackle it and, you know, how do we really go ahead with it? But I think missing out on ESG for a charity or a non-profit is really a missed opportunity because it's a missed opportunity to enable the organization to put their values, their organizational values on, on display I think donors and, and stakeholders really want to know that their investments into these charities and nonprofits are really going into the right areas, that their money is actually working in the way it's saying that they're working. The conversation is sort of changing from, oh, you're a charity, that's fantastic, to more of like, oh, you're a charity, that's fantastic, but what else? And there's a lot of other questions as well, like how are you taking care of staff? Do you, how do you treat other stakeholders? Is there technology that could uh, that you're not using that you could invest in that could support your organization better? Are the executive executives being paid too high? You know, is the charity really taking care of the risk that it's that it's in?
0: Yeah, and I, and you're very right. And I think sometimes the charities can sort of say, "Well, we get a free pass here because." We are about doing good, we have a social purpose, but I think we're in the ESG lens and how people will look at your organization and say, Well, maybe you have a higher standard to meet because of the because you have that social purpose focus, how strong you are on the environmental. Are you doing harm to the environment? Yeah. Are you mistreating your volunteers or your staff or so and and the other pillar as you mentioned which is maybe not seen as the sexy one but i both of us would see it as a critical one is the governance Mm -hmm. and and the governance piece is very very important so yeah i I do think every organization needs to think well how do we stand how 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 would we if we're asked about what our esg policies are and frameworks how would we stack up against it Which drives me to my next question is, how do you go about the nuts and bolts process of developing your ESG frameworks in your organisation? And where do you start? Um, Who needs to be involved?
1: So that's a very, very sort of big question. Um, I think the first thing that charities or NGOs need to realise is that even if they're sort of going down one route of, Supposing they are a charity that's focused in the social sector, or they're an NGO focused on the environmental sector. There's other things that they could be doing that could make them more ESG focused. So they're focused on the environment, then what are they doing for society? Are they taking care of the people that work for them? If they're focused on society, then how are they managing other things for the environment? So, and then again. Um, the underlying thing is does governance support it there's one thing that's really, really important for any organization to understand in this space and it's it is this it's that esG is needs to be highly customized for the organization. And for the industry in which it operates in,
0: you just don't pull one off off the shelf.
1: Absolutely not. It's it's not prescriptive at all, and I think that's kind of scares a lot of organisations because there's no clear cut way forward. But at the same time, it's an excellent way to sort of be the standard, the gold standard in this area. Another thing that that I wanted to say here is that charities and nonprofits in Ireland I think at the moment do not have ESG specific regulations but doesn't mean that that's not going to happen down the line and people need to be focused on that so coming back to the question, When you start thinking about ESG, you've got to realize that it is not a standalone entity. The organizations that do it really well are the organizations who thread ESG all throughout their functions. Organizations that do it really well also start with the concept of materiality. So in the beginning of this session, I kind of listed out a whole number of things within the E, the S, and the G. But it doesn't mean that an organization needs to focus on all of those things a really good ESG strategy starts off with having identified the issues that are material to your organization itself. So it could be even two charities within the same sector uh, will have different ESG issues that they will have to they will have to deal with even if they're in the same geographical area as well. So
0: it's very organization specific.
1: Absolutely, it needs to be highly customized and one thing about the materiality, we use a framework that's really really good. We start by assessing your sort of and any organization can do this. Is to start assessing your uh, your environment. So what's what's your industry? What's your regulation like? What is your geographical landscape like? You know, so assess all of those external factors. So coming out of that assessment, you'll get maybe ten of maybe fifteen ESG related issues that your that your organization could deal with. But what we're asking you to do then is sort of organize them in terms of what's the most important what can add the most strategic value to your organization and then maybe focus on those top three and choose those three to invest in on your esg journey so commit by putting your governance in check to enable these three things to work really well or maybe it could even be four but i highly recommend three And then start putting the people behind the organization to sort of start working on these three things. So start preparing your people to be able to to handle this and then keep, keep a watch to see, does this process work? Do you need to reiterate the process? Does it need to be tweaked? Does it need to be moved around? And then, so materiality again is a constant evolving process and of course, the ESG strategy as well is a constant, evolving process, and should be um, seen as that.
0: And I see there are now companies that have ESG re- reporting requirements. They need to report on ESG. Might talk to me about what are they and, and who do they apply to?
1: The first thing to consider is your geography, your size, and your sector. So it could be certain geographical areas have certain ESG reporting requirements. Sometimes, if you're a very large company, you have. It's a particular mandated requirements, or even your sector may require it. So, firstly, is to check is your organization mandated to have ESG reporting requirements? That's the first thing. The second thing is in the EU, there is mandatory ESG related financial disclosures, the SFDR and the EU taxonomy. The SFDR is in relation to your financial disclosures. Uh, again, this is not sort of targeted directly to the charities and the non-profit sector, but it's more for the bigger companies, primarily companies that would be listed on the stock exchange. And you also have the EU taxonomy. So the EU taxonomy kind of says, it makes it abundantly clear which activities can be considered to be green or sustainable uh, and which activities are not So those are ones for the for the EU. In the UK, you have the TCFD. Again, this is for the footsies, you know, big companies and the SDR as well, which is equivalent to the EU taxonomy. So that's if it's mandated. But if it's non-mandated, you can really go that one step extra and really show off in a sense and actually have your ESG reporting re- requirements in place far ahead of, the, of your peers. Uh, and here yes. you have a lot more flexibility to play around with various frameworks. So my best advice would be that there are a lot of frameworks out there. It's best to choose ones that work for your organization and whether your organization can actually do those reporting requirements. So a couple of them here would be the SASB, the TCFT, of course, from the UK, GRI, and the SDGs.
0: Which of those, Ria, would be suitable for the, the, the smaller type of organizations? That, you know, some of them, when you look, they're very, very complex. They're, they're geared for, you say... Listed companies, whereas if you're an organisation that may only have 50, 60 staff or or even fewer, what models are more closely aligned to the, the smaller organisation that wants to be best practice. They're not required, mandatory to do it now, but it, this is something that will come down the tracks. It's sort of being being ahead of the, ahead of the game is always a, a good advice for, for organisations if they can be rather than suddenly reached with a drop-dead deadline and they're suddenly struggling to do all this sort of preparatory work that could have been done at the leisure by by being being a bit forward planning. So which ones would you recommend for, say, a smaller organisation?
1: For a smaller organisation, I think especially if we're talking about non-profit and charity sector, the SDGs, which come from the UN, are a pretty broad framework in which organisations can report against. The SDGs, as you know, is the sustainable development goals by the by the UN and there's seventeen of them. Again, I think a really smart way to approach this is not to tackle all of them, but to maybe pick three or four that are material to your organization and then report against those. So that's a really smart way I think, especially if you have a small organization. But ultimately, I'd recommend having someone in your organization do a scan of various frameworks because they could work for a small organization as well. I think because, again, it's if it's not mandated in your field, then you have that sort of leeway to take a maybe more complex framework and then sort of change it and customize it to your organization to make it flexible and workable for you. So uh, my recommendation would be to take a look at mainly the four that I said, which is the SASB, the TCFT, GRIs and SDGs.
0: Right. So okay, do do, do your homework, do a bit of research, see what the different frameworks are and then see which one would best suit the nature of your 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 organisation so yeah. Yeah, that 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 makes make a lot of sense are there examples Ria, of good practice ones of organisations say these are very good um examples to look at you know that, that you said here here's an organisation that has uh, you know gone a long way of developing very robust um, ESG frameworks and reporting mechanisms.
1: Yeah, well, what I'm going to say it might be slightly controversial, but um, I think it needs to be said. Um, the the organizations who do really well and report well on on ESG tend to be the ones in the most problematic industries. So you're talking oil and gas, you're talking mining. They're the ones who have the, first of all, they need the institutional investment that would come you know, from maybe pension funds or hedge funds or large funds like that. Uh, and pressure coming from those funds um, or even institutions like banks, the pressure coming from those kinds of organizations or those kinds of institutions, it's quite high, and quite heavy right now on ESG. So these are the kinds of organizations that you would look at. And they would be kind of really in terms of their ESG reporting, they would be really, really good at ESG reporting. On the ground, it may be a different story, I can't say, I don't know, but in terms of their ESG reporting, it's really, really good.
0: And sometimes these are the things that have forced organizations, there's an issue or there's a crisis and you need to respond. So ESG provides a good framework to help you navigate, well, okay, we, we, we've we messed up here or we we have we, what we're doing is no longer acceptable or people will no longer tolerate it what do we need to do to change our culture our behaviors our ethos as well as our process and our system so i think looking at it as a way of improving um how you do things and i think us in the charity nonprofit we always need to be conscious that we're, we're only one crisis away from you know um having problems so um looking at this framework is very very helpful even though it's not requirement now but it, it is something i, I think that, that will become more and more a feature of of, of boardroom discussions going forward. There is again, and, and, and you know, you, you get pushback in this, and we're, we're seeing people saying there's things like greenwashing or um, wokewashing, and I even see some states in in the US are talking about passing legislation to outlaw ESGs. What's your, what's your view on those sort of criticisms?
1: Okay, so those are two different issues. Um, The first thing is with the greenwashing. In that case, there's no smoke without a fire. um, And there were fires. But it's interesting to see when the space is unregulated, how people sort of take advantage of a situation. And I think when it comes to greenwashing, I think we've seen a lot of what you shouldn't do. And I think the space is unregulated, but it's moving towards stronger regulation. And I think that regulation will tend to combat a lot of that greenwashing. Like, I think there were a lot of funds, especially in the U.S., that were claiming to be green and ESG-friendly, but they had, like, one green company in it. So I think it'll be interesting to see how the regulation actually solves that issue. And I would be heavily sort of leaning on regulation to solve that issue. The second thing is washing. Um, it annoys me a little bit because I feel when you say workwashing, you're sort of bringing in a political lens to ESG. And to be honest, ESG isn't at all a political thing. Um, there, there are a couple of things, of course, like the DNI issue that does maybe come into um, What's the D&I oh, sorry, the um, diversity and inclusion oh, uh, yes. thing that does sort of there is a lot of conversation about diversity and inclusion. So. That issue in particular gets sort of heightened up a lot, and you know, so, so that's one thing. Another thing is a lot of people who maybe want to bring stronger regulation, maybe outlaw ESG, as you said, uh, don't quite understand what ESG is. And to be honest, it's not their fault. You know, there's a lot of nonsense on the internet about ESG at the moment, so uh, you really need someone to sort of demystify it for you. And another thing is this "woke washing" term is coming mostly from America. And it's mostly because of their sort of political landscape at the moment. But that doesn't mean that that needs to leak into other organizations or other geographical locations. And let's be very, very, very clear. The organizations that are actually pursuing ESG full on are pursuing capitalism, you know they are looking at how can I do better for the environment how can I do better for my stakeholders how can I do better for my society but at the same time how do I do better for myself how do I create profit for me and for my shareholders as well so I think it's just a better way of doing business. It's sort of looking at, a, at an issue holistically and not pursuing profit alone. Yeah,
0: I, I agree. I think a lot of these things can get captured by a political agenda or a, or a cultural war and, a pe- and statements made by people that don't really understand what we're talking about when talking about ESG, and I, I, for me, I boil down ESG down to good governance, which is do the right thing in the right way. So you use that lens and you say, well, do we want to be harming our environment? Do we want to be exploiting um, our, uh, people on our supply chain um, you know, where they'd be living in un- unacceptable working conditions? Do we want to exploit our workers? So these are the things that you, that you, you, you bring it back to, well, what actually... Are you against? Uh, but uh, and I think ESG is a framework to f- for it doing the right thing in the right way and identifying some of those gaps and and, and you will have people when you do go on a journey of something new that don't really understand it and you'll have a little greenwashing and I think it's up to the public it's up to experts, it's up to regulators to say that's not acceptable, that doesn't Absolutely. meet the criteria and I think we're on that journey and um, we're yeah. at the early stages so things will change so the more greenwashing that happens the more there'll be a push back and say that's not acceptable and there'll be tighter regulation. It, it, it happens in governance all the time when when things come to light that are not deemed unacceptable then there is a review and say so, well okay how do we remove that from, from, from the landscape I'd
1: actually like to share an anecdote from, from my life, it happened when I was younger but then now looking at it I kind of look at it through an ESG lens and now we realize ESG could have solved the, the issue. So my family is primarily from an agricultural background. We tend to grow um, coffee and pepper, but we also have a small vineyard a few hours away from the coffee and pepper. Um, and around us are small independent farmers. They grow everyday sort of things like tomatoes. There's a lot of tomato farmers around us. Uh, gra- uh, grapes, of course, but like uh, pomegranates and stuff, which we considered quite normal in India So what happened was, there was a large organization who came to us, um, uh, not to us, but to the farmers around us, and they sort of said, uh, okay, as as part of our CSR, what we're going to do is we're going to give you really high-quality seeds to to grow, and so it's going to give you a lot better, fetch you a better market price when you go to sell them uh, in the market. And so they gave them these seeds, and they were really high-quality, high-yielding, and then they left. Right, And then these farmers, of course, grew the seeds. They thought it was cucumbers initially, but it turned out to be courgettes. Uh, courgettes don't grow in India primarily. Uh, it's, quite, it was, it's quite a new addition to the market. I'd say it's been around for maybe 15, 20 years-ish. Plus, not every person knows what a courgette is. It's, it's, it's more for a highly specialized client here. So these farmers, who probably didn't have that much money anyway, were stuck with this, they didn't know what it was, they didn't know who to sell it to, they didn't know how to get to the market, so they ended up kind of, you know, wasting their money when you think about it. And if you had just taken that example and just taken, a, taken an ESG lens to it, you would have said, well, do these farmers actually know what we're giving them? What kind of, Would they benefit from any support that we could give them? Could we put them in touch with, with distributors? And I think that's also sort of the missing link with CSR. CSR is great, but sometimes it doesn't have that strategic view as the well.
0: Interconnected; it isn't just a matter of doing one gesture and following through. Well, what are the implications? What other supports that we need to um, do? This has been very, very interesting, and and we've covered a lot in, in a relatively short space of time. So, just as a final question, Maria, if there's somebody listening to this podcast, um, And I think, well, we must do something in our organization with ESG. What would be your top three tips that you'd say, the three top takeaways that you'd leave them with um, at the end of this podcast?
1: Sure. So the first one is pursuing an ESG strategy is not as expensive as you think it's going to be. Most organizations are doing some sort of ESG already. They just haven't connected the dots yet. A simple example would be, are the electric bulbs in my organization, are they energy-friendly? Or do we need to move them to LEDs? That's a really, really simple switch. But it's also saving on electricity bills. You know, it's also helping the environment that way. Another thing is even paying your taxes can be considered to be ESG as well. I think there was a report by Goldman Sachs, if I'm not mistaken, it was in East African region. And as part of their ESG, they've actually outlined how their taxes help to support the the local economy. So that's also considered to be ESG. So ESG is not considered, don't think of ESG as this big, bad, scary monster that you just cannot deal with. It's, really, really small things as well can be considered to be ESG. So that's the first one. It's not as expensive as you think. The second thing is that it shouldn't be a standalone unit in your organization. Uh, It should be incorporated within all levels of your organization and all functions of your organization as well. It will help you sort of reevaluate things. It could bring up issues where you've done things a certain way and you ESG sort of makes you think, well, could we do it better? Could we bring in better technology to it enable us to to do this better? So it shouldn't be a standalone part and it definitely shouldn't land on the head of one person in the organization. It is a group effort for everybody. And then the final thing is to communicate, communicate and communicate. So ESG strategy is well and good, but if you don't have the people to help you back it, it's it's really nothing. When you start with an ESG strategy, you're starting from the beginning with ESG. Start communicating with various stakeholders. So it it can be your employees. It could be maybe with your customers. It could be with your distributors. It could be with your suppliers. Decide who you need to talk to. Decide when it needs to happen, how often it needs to happen, and how much you need to tell them. And then constantly reevaluate this process over and over and over again those are my top three tips.
0: Brilliant, excellent I Really, that's been fantastic thank you so much Rhea. it has been a great discussion on ESG and as I say I think it will be more and more become a, a major topic for, for organisations and boards and for management to, uh, to take it seriously and as you say a lot of people are doing ESG activities anyway, it is, it's just looking at what framework we put this around and see what gaps we might have because uh, we haven't looked at it uh, from that lens before. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much for having me, David.
0: Thank you for listening to our latest Carmichael Governance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, it would be of great benefit to us if you could give it a rating as that helps to create greater awareness of these podcasts. So until the next time, slán